Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. Glad you guys are here. Excited about a new series we're starting today, Homies, a whole new level of family. And uh, isn't it true that nobody can drive you nuts like your family? The people that you love the most seem to be the people that can push the right buttons, aren't they? Nobody makes you as angry, as frustrated, as embarrassed, as irritated, as aggravated. Fill in the adjective. Nobody can do it like your family, right? They know exactly what to do at exactly the wrong time to kind of push you over the edge. Family. And so uh, if that's your family situation, if that's how you feel, today's for you. Today's for me. And so, but as much as they can push our buttons and make us feel frustrated and irritated, don't we love them? Isn't that weird? The people that make you the most aggravated are the people you love the most. Wouldn't you do anything for them? You can have a better family. You can have a better home. That's what this series is all about that you would take your family life to a whole new level to hear what God has to say about it. That's what this series is about. For the next six weeks, it's, it's like one six-week sermon broken up into six parts to give you tools to go out of here and have a better family, better relationships, better ability to get along with the people you love. Because I know they set you off all the time. They set me off all the time. They do stuff and you think, is there any way I can hit the rewind button and change that? So we've been taking our kids to the library after school each day and uh, letting them do their homework at the library. And so we're kind of taking turns different days. And so I had our kids at the library with me one day this past week. And so I'm going through their homework with them. And Logan, our seven-year-old, he just turned seven, almost said six, but our seven-year-old, he was, um, for that day, he was working on words that have the FL sound in them. These double consonants, they've been working on double consonants, right? So words like flag or, I don't know, flip or what? What did you say? Flat. Yeah, F-L, right? And so I'm working on with. He has to know how to spell them, how to say them, how to write them, all that stuff. Write them in print, write them in cursive, all this stuff. So we're working on it in the library. And, of course, it's supposed to be quiet in the library. There's about 10 other people in the library. And he starts writing his down, words down. I start reading them to him and say, do you know how to spell flag? And he's writing down flag. And out of nowhere, he just stops and looks at me. And he says, as loud as a 7-year-old can say it in a public library, I love F-words. And I just put my hand, I was like, preacher, don't worry, everybody, I'm just heading on down to children and youth services right now. <laughs> so, I love F-words, he says. Like, it's just something about your family. They know how to put you in that spot, right, and turn your face red and make it just so uncomfortable for you. You're like, that's mine right there, everybody. Yep, that was mine. Proud of them. Proud of them. Love them with all my heart, you know. And uh, that's what we're talking about in this series. And and I feel like, you know, my family extends even beyond the people I live with. And maybe you too have heard people over the years say things like, that's my church family, right? And that comes from the fact that there's a lot of places in the Bible where God will compare us to parts of the family. He'll say that uh, we're like the bride of Christ or that God wants to be our heavenly father or that there's a friend that sticks closer to you than a brother like Jesus. And, and so there's like this relationship throughout the Bible, throughout God's words of, hey, 
we're like a family here when we get together. And so I think of you guys as like a family and being the good pastor that I am, despite what Sam would have you believe, right? I feel like it's my duty to reach out and encourage my church family members. And so somebody in our church had COVID this past week. Now, HIPAA prevents me from saying who it is, I think. I don't know. But I don't know if that's true or not. But I'm not going to tell you who it was. But they had COVID. And so I felt like, you know, it's my duty to reach out to them and encourage them with some truth and wisdom from God's Word. So I was reading my Bible, and I thought, I'm going to send this verse to that person because it will really encourage their spirit. And I got it on the screen if you want to take a look at it. It's Psalm chapter 38, verse 11. This is like the COVID verse. And this is what it said. I sent it to him in a text. It says, my loved ones and family stay away, fearing my disease. Even my own family stands at a distance. And I was like, I hope that would encourage their heart. You know, that's just the kind of family member I am, Sam. And so I sent that out this week. But yeah, you want to encourage your family members. You want to challenge them. You want to be there for them. You want to stick with them through thick and thin, COVID or leprosy or whatever they get. You want to be there for them, right? And so I hope you're like that and you want your family relationships to be better. Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. Your happiness for the rest of your life will always be linked to your relationships. There's no way around it. I, don't, I wish it wasn't that way, but it's the truth, and everybody in the room knows it, that if your wife is having a bad day, you're having a bad day. Is that right? If your kids are discouraged, you feel sad. If somebody in your family does you dirty, you feel angry. There's just something about the fact that the status of your relationships is going to always be linked to your happiness each day. Now, it's not, it's not linked to my joy, right? Because my joy as a Christian is rooted in Jesus in the future. Joy is a state of mind, a choice that you make based on the future. But happiness is a state of mind or a choice that you make based on the present. My circumstances dictate my happiness. My future hope dictates my joy. So my relationships are always going to impact my happiness because as the people closest to me experience emotion, it's always going to trickle over to me. And so I want you to be a happier person. I want you to be able to have better, stronger, healthier relationships. So here's the key idea for the series. If you're here all six weeks, you're going to hear me say this over and over again. But let me just challenge you to kind of write this down. Or if you've got a phone, jot it in your notes app. Or if you have an Android phone and you're not a real Christian, then jot it in whatever you got. I don't know. It's a... I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Android people, they're so sensitive, Android people. That's why they left Apple a long time ago. They got their feelings hurt or something, you know? All right, so, but jot this down because this is kind of like the key idea for the series. You ready? Nothing in this life, nothing in this life, nothing in this life is more important than relationships. No task, no paycheck, no physical accomplishment. No mental ascent. Nothing you're going to do the rest of your life will matter more than relationships. Nobody gets to their deathbed and looks back on life and says, oh, if only I had made $1 more an hour. Nobody says that. If only I had played one more round of golf. If only I had been in a little better shape as a kid. Nobody's talking like that on their deathbed. What are they saying? I wish I had a little bit more time with my kids. I wish I had a little bit more time with my wife. I wish I had another chance to go back and spend time with the people I ignored 
working too much, being too lazy, isolating too many times. Relationships. Nothing matters more in this life than those things. In fact, Jesus said the same thing. One time he was asked by some people, hey, what's the most important thing in the world? I mean, there's so much in God's word, I can't really process it all at the same time. So can you just break it down for me, Jesus? What's the most important piece of the Bible? What's the most important instruction from God? What's the most important command? What's the most important part of my life that I need to do? And this is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. Here's what he said. You ready? He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. Then he said, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. What's he saying? There's nothing more important in this world. There's no greater commandment from God. Nothing matters more than being in a loving relationship with God and being in a loving relationship with other people. He goes on in that chapter to say, who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is every person in the world. Your friends, your enemies, your family, people that treat you good and the people that treat you bad, they're all neighbors. The people that other people tell you aren't your neighbors, they're your neighbors too. What's the most important thing in all the world, Jesus? To have a loving, wholehearted relationship with the God of the universe and have a loving, wholehearted relationship with everybody else around you relationships. He didn't say one thing about how much money you earn, what position you hold. He didn't say one thing about what your favorite sports team was or how many activities you get into a day. He didn't say anything about how big your house was or what town you live in. None of that. He didn't tell you you have to travel to a certain town to be holy. He didn't tell you you have to wear certain clothes to be right with God. No, what he said was love God with all you got and love people just the same. That's what matters more than anything. Homies a whole new level of family because nothing in life is going to matter more than your relationships. But here's the problem, and you all know this to be true. Relationships can quickly become just a job, a task you do each day, errands you run for other people, stuff you check off the list each day, and it no longer is about love. It's no longer about connection or closeness. All of a sudden, it's become I'm running this kid here, and I'm going to the grocery store for this, and I'm stopping by the bank on my way home, and I'm putting in extra hours to pay for this and to do that and to go on this trip. And, to, and all of a sudden, even when you're around your family, there's no relationship. You're just strangers in a house together. That's the danger. If that sounds like you, if that feels like you, the next six weeks are for you. Because I promise you, God has a lot to say about it. He wants to flip the script on your family. He wants you to be able to go home today and do something tangible and practical to make your family relationships better, stronger, healthier, longer lasting, more happy, more enjoyable. Are you with me? Let's do it together. So I want to talk to you today about the first of the six pieces of power in a family. Can I give them to you? I'm going to give you the first one today. Here it is. You ready? It's the power of priorities. The power of priorities. So if you're a note taker, jot that down. I'm going to roll through for you today. What I think God spells out in the Bible are the four priorities every family should have. There's four of them. I can't think of any more in all of God's word. And if you will boil down how you interact with your family to these four things, you'll be happier, better, 
stronger. Now, you might hear these and you might think, wow, we already do one of those pretty good, or we do all of those a little bit, or are you ready to go to the next level? You ready to do all four of them? Ready to hit it hard today and make your family stronger and better? Because you can do it. You can do it. So it starts with recognizing that God has called you to something special in your family. You have a calling on your life. Now, calling is a word that most people don't ascribe to themselves. It's a word that they think applies to like pastors and missionaries. I was called into the ministry. You ever hear anybody say that? I was called to the foreign mission field. But they don't think of it in terms of themselves. But all throughout the Bible, God talks about he's called you to something special. Here's how the Apostle Paul writes it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. It's the same thing I might say to you today. You ready? He says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Called to what? I mean, I challenge you to read through all six chapters of Ephesians sometime this week on your own. But Ephesians chapter 3 and 4, super great chapters. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul reveals one of the two mysteries that aren't in the Old Testament that God reveals in the New Testament. This mysterious plan where God's offering the gospel of grace to Gentiles like all of us. And there would be no church today in America if it wasn't for Ephesians chapter 3 and 4. And then he gets to chapter 4 after he sums up what the gospel sounds like and what the good news about Jesus sounds like and how mysterious it is to most of the world. And he says that you've been called to take everything you know about God and give it to everybody else around you. You got a calling on your life. This is the calling. It's the power of priorities in your family. It starts at home. All right. So when I look through the Bible, I believe I can sum my calling up in three words. And I believe I have the same calling on my life that you have on yours. There is no difference. You say, well, I'm not the pastor. So what? Pastor isn't a calling. It's just a different position in the calling. Door greeter is a different position in the calling. Loving my neighbor is a different position in the calling. Making food and bringing it to share with others is just a different position in the calling. Not better, not worse, not more important, not less important, just different. Just different. But here's my calling, you ready? Three words. God, family, I lost it. What did I say already? God, family, kingdom. God, family, kingdom. If you're a note taker, jot down those three words. If you're not a note taker, jot down those three words because your life will be better if you take notes. <laughs> Is that fair? All right. God, kingdom, God, family, kingdom. And what do I mean by that? I want to love God with all I got. I want to love my family with all I got. I want to love his kingdom with all I got. And nothing else matters in comparison to those three things. I want to spend all of my time and all of my energy getting to know God better, loving my family more deeply, and building his kingdom passionately. And anything else should get cut, cut out of your life. You say, what are you talking about? What about all the other things I do? If you can't use the things you do to know God better, love your family more, or build his kingdom passionately, get rid of it. That's what I'm saying. That's your calling. And family's a big part of that, right there in the middle. God, family, kingdom. And if you say that to a lot of people, they would say like, I want those things. I want to know God better. I want to love my family more. 
I want to build his kingdom passionately. I want those things. But the choices they make in life don't reveal that that's what they really want. In fact, they speak the opposite simply because they've refused to make priorities in their life. All right, the power of priorities. Let me give you the four priorities that I think God teaches us you need to have for your family. Whether you've got kids at home, whether you're married, whether you just have nieces and nephews, grandkids, you think you get out of the family at some point, they still need you. So here's the four priorities. I'm going to spend most of the time, the rest of the time, today on the first one. The other three are going to come up over the next several weeks, a little bit more detail, but I'm going to give you all four of them today. Here's the first one, the priority of training. And training, just like the other three I'm going to give you, doesn't just happen by accident. Nobody falls into training. No marathon runner shows up at a race. You're like, well, I didn't run at all beforehand, but I'm sure I'm ready. No, you've got to set a priority to train ahead of time. So the priority of training, because if you're not learning and growing, guess what you are? You're stuck. And stuck is the very first step to the end of any relationship. And if you want to know why people get divorced, if you want to know why people lose the love they have for each other, it's because somewhere along the way they got stuck. And they stopped growing and learning as a couple. They stopped doing life together and started doing life apart, running errands and tasks. They weren't training for the battle. They weren't training for the challenge of the next day. They were stuck in some day in the past. Stuck. So are you training in your family? What does that even look like? You've got to train in every relationship. Is this in the Bible? Even Jesus trained. Look when Jesus was a kid in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Look what it says about Jesus. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. You mean Jesus had to get wiser? But I thought he knew everything. Guess what? Jesus sat aside a lot of the stuff he knew and could do so he could experience all the same training you got to go through. And he had to grow up too. Look what Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when they're older, they will never leave it. Training. Are you training yourself? Are you training your kids? Are you training your grandkids? I know so many grandparents that as soon as they become grandparents, it's just about fun. That's the parent's job to train them, right? What? Does it say parents train up a child or does it say train up a child? Does it still take a village or does it just take one single mom? Who's training the kids in our community? You get to retire when you turn 65 from training the people in your family? Or do you got to step up to the plate and keep training your whole life? If you want to stay in shape, if you want to keep growing and not be stuck, you got to keep training. We think telling people something is training, and that's a common like parent mistake. We'll come back to it in just a second, but we think telling them is training them, and it's not. It's not. We'll come back to it, okay? So let me tell you the five things you need to train your family to do. You ready? Five things you need to train your family to be prepared for. Five things you need to train yourself to be ready for. Here they are. You ready? Feelings. You need some training in your feelings. How do you deal with them? You ever, fi- you ever see a five-year-old at the store doesn't know how to deal with their feelings? You've seen them, right? If they want something, they don't get it, and they're angry. The feeling of anger comes up. They don't know how to deal with it, do they? Or at least they don't know how to deal with it in a, in a good way. Is that right? we got a lot of 40, 50, 60, 70-year-old babies walking around don't know how to deal with their feelings still. 
Am I right? People that are, you know, uh, they, might, they might be 48, but if you don't give them the price they want at the car dealership, they're going to let you know what their feelings are on the showroom floor. Is that right? If somebody, if they think somebody cheated them at the grocery store in the checkout lane, they're going to let everybody in the store know about it because nobody ever trained them how to deal with their feelings, right? They're married and they want to be committed to their wife, but a good-looking girl walks by. Nobody ever trained them how to deal with those feelings, and so now they got to have that girl too because they didn't have any training. And it doesn't happen by accident. The weights aren't going to pick themselves up off the floor. The treadmill doesn't start on its own. You got to train. How do I handle my feelings? Because sometimes you got to faith it until you feel it. And I was just telling some people this yesterday, like, I wake up on Sunday morning sometimes, don't want to come to church. But you're the preacher. Well, I'm a human, right? Guess what? The preacher wakes up on Sunday morning sometimes with a headache. I know you think I'm like a machine. I'm not a machine. I'm Albert. That's Albert Poolhouse, by the way. I know you think I wake up on Sunday mornings, and I always just want to be here, but sometimes I wake up and I got a head cold. Sometimes I wake up and I'd rather stay home and watch TV. Sometimes I wake up on Sunday morning, I'd rather just go out to eat with my family. But sometimes you got to faith it until you feel it. It doesn't make you phony. It makes you faithful. It's training. Training to take my feelings and do something with them. Are you training your kids to deal with their feelings? Here's the second one. you got to train your family, train yourself to deal with conflict. Conflict. What do I do when it comes up? Do I throw down or do I turn the other cheek? Do I cuss them out or do I speak words of life? You know, so many people are absolutely terrified of conflict because of divorce. And they've learned their whole life that if there's a disagreement or an argument, that means somebody's going to leave. And so they avoid conflict like the plague. They never learn how to deal with it growing up because they think in their head, if I confront this, if I talk it out, they might abandon me. And we got a whole country of people that don't know how to deal with their feelings and don't know how to deal with conflict. And so they either hide from it or they riot. They either avoid it or they let somebody have it. They have no way to deal with conflict in a healthy way. Here's the third one. How do you deal with loss? Because you need some training and losses. And you can either run and hide or you can push into it and heal. But you know how many people in our country, in our world, when they experience any kind of loss, their reaction is they bury their head in the sand and run away. And 30 years later, they're no closer to whole than they were when that person died, when that person left them, when that person abandoned them. They never heal because they run from it. We're not training anybody to deal with loss. We're just avoiding it. In 2018, the University of Connecticut's women's basketball team had won 111 straight games. I don't know if any of you remember this, if you're a basketball fan maybe. 111 straight games and they lost. They had won basically three full seasons of games without losing a game. And in 2018, they lost a game after 111 victories. And their coach, Gino Ariema, took them into the locker room after the game. And all the girls were dejected. Their heads were down. They were discouraged and depressed. 
They felt like not only had they let their, let their team down, but they had let down the three years previous teams and anybody who called themselves a Connecticut Husky. And Coach Ariema, this is what he said to him. I got it written down. He quoted what he said to him. Here's what he said to him. Ladies, now this is life. What we've been experiencing the past three years is a dream because life is full of losses. But with every loss is the opportunity to learn. And now we're about to find out what our team is really made of. Is that your attitude on loss? Now's my chance, God, to show everybody around me what I'm made of because of you. Or when you experience loss, are you depressed forever? Do you run and hide from everybody around you? Are we training ourselves to deal with loss? Here's the fourth one, values. We gotta train ourselves and our family how to have real values. Because I got news for you, the world around us is trying to teach every kid connected to your family and you yourself through media, through social media, through friends, through teachers, through professors, through employers, through advertisement, they're trying to teach you and everybody connected to you that success and meaning in life is found in three things and three things alone. You ready? Sex, status, and salary. And if we're not training the people in our family that real success and real meaning is only found in our Savior and has nothing to do with our salary or our sex life or our status in this world, we're setting people up to have no values, to grow up and have no values, to not follow the real God of the Bible, the real Jesus who gave his life for them. Everything besides our Savior and finding success and meaning in him is worthless. And we're not setting people up for that because we're not training us to have values. Here's the fifth one. We've got to train ourselves and the people around us to have healthy habits. Habits. Because there's no such thing as healthy character without healthy habits. It's not possible. And I just made a quick little list here. It's not an exhaustive list. But these things don't just happen by chance. They happen by routine. They don't just happen by chance. They happen by choice. You ready? Family devotions. Daily Bible reading. Frequent prayer. Weekly Bible memorization. Open, honest communication. Sabbath days to rest, regular church attendance, commitment to a life group. Come back tonight and find out about life group, not so you can win a prize, but so you can develop a healthy habit in your life and maybe change your family tree forever. Talking to your kids about what they learned in sidekicks at church, asking your teenage kids or your spouse on the way home, what'd you hear at church today? I want to talk about it a little bit. These things don't just happen by chance. They only happen by choice. You have to set priorities, the priority of training. Is that your life? Now, how do you do it? I know everybody's like, well, how do you do all these things? It's overwhelming. How do you do it? The Bible boils it down to two ways you do training. There's only two ways you train. You ready? You train others, the Bible says, by example, by your example, Here's how Paul said it. Let me show you how Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. This is what he said. You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. In other words, I run as hard as I can after following Jesus 
and I want my family to see me do it. I don't hide it in a closet or in my car by myself. No, I get down on my knees in front of them. I let them see me pray. I open up my Bible. I let them see me read. I study what God has to say, and I memorize verses, and I do it with them. I sit down. I talk about God with them. I listen to worship music together. I want them to see that example. You do it by example because it's been said that we teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. So your family has to see it in you. In other words, you can't send your family to church and stay home and think they're going to become churchgoers. You can't tell your kids to read their Bible and yours has a layer of dust on it and wonder why they don't read their Bible. You can't tell your kids it's good to memorize the Bible and you don't know one verse. You can't tell your kids to join a life group and you've never been there. You've got to lead by example. You've got to train by example. And here's the other way, you ready? Through conversations. Not yelling at them. Not screaming a commandment from the other room. Not a passing comment. But, huh, you'd be better off. You'd do better on that test. Why don't you study harder and walk out? That's not training. That's not a conversation. That's an insult. Do you know the difference between a conversation and an insult? Real conversation. Would it surprise you to know that statistics say the average dad in America talks to their children face-to-face 35 seconds a day? Are we training our families? I yell at them all the time from the other room. Sit down, look them in the eye, and ask them about their day. Are we training our kids to have values? To know how to handle their feelings? To know how to confront conflict? Are we training ourselves? That's how you do it. Here's how you don't do it. Ready? Let me give you two ways you don't do it. You don't do it through criticizing. Nobody's ever been shamed into godliness. Shame is the reason I sin. You understand that, right? If shame is the problem, it can't be the answer. So you're never going to guilt somebody into doing the right thing. You're never going to guilt your kids into having real values. You can't shame somebody into it. So stop criticizing everybody. Ephesians 6.4 says it like this. Maybe. Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Stop shaming them. Stop screaming at them. Stop expecting them to do things you're not willing to do yourself. You don't do it through criticizing, and you don't do it through comparing. Because comparing is the thief of, comparison is the thief of joy. And by comparing to all the other kids around your kids, you're just, you're just bringing them down. You're just beating them down harder. Comparing your wife to everybody else's wife, you're just beating her down. You're setting yourself up for failure. Here's how the Bible says it. Look at Galatians 6, 4. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Stop the comparison game. I don't care what their Facebook feed is. They're not that happy. They don't have it better than you. You just don't see them when, the, when they're not online. Trust me, every picture is not airbrushed. They look ugly in the mirror sometimes too. Don't worry about it. Stop looking at everybody else as your standard. I read this quote this week that said, we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We always fall to the level of our training. Are you training yourself and your families? 
Let me give you the last three priorities. Ready? If you'll do these four priorities with your family, you'll have success and be happier. Ready? First one was training. The second one is having fun. You know, having fun doesn't just happen. You got to make it a priority. You got to be intentional. What am I saying? I'm saying you need family nights. You need times where you turn the phone off and just hang with your people. You need dates with your wife. The second you stopped dating your spouse is the second you decided I'd rather be divorced than married. And it might take a year or a decade, but why are you not dating your spouse? You still need fun stuff in your life. It doesn't go away when you get older. It doesn't go away when you get married. It doesn't go away when you have kids. Life can't be all work. And a lot of Christians think that's not correct. But let me show you what the wisest guy who ever lived said about it, Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Look at this verse. People ought to enjoy every day of their life, no matter how long they live, whether they die young or live old, right? Look at what else he says. Look at another verse from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 9.9. Enjoy life with your wife. I love that verse. I'm enjoying life with my wife. I would rather hang out with my wife than anybody else in the whole world. She's the bomb. The bomb is what they used to say, Abby, before like, you know, when you were a little kid. That's what we used to say. She's the bomb. I love hanging out with my wife. Do you still enjoy doing fun stuff with your wife? You got to plan it because it won't just fall into your lap. You know what falls into your lap? Work, tiredness, sleep, stress. <laughs> fun never falls into your lap when you're an adult. You with me? You got to plan it and prioritize it. Look at what else Solomon says. Ecclesiastes 8.15. I recommend having fun. That way you'll experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives you. Life is hard. Have some fun along the way. You got to plan it. You got to plan it with your crew, right? Here's the third priority. Ready? Caring. Caring. You got to care for the people in your family. You can't pass it off on somebody else. I meet way too many people that expect the church to care for their kids more than they do. Whose job is it to raise your kids? I'm willing to help, but it's not my job. And it's not your job to raise my kids. It's my job. Now, we should all be in it together. But you can't pass the buck to some other family. you got to care for the people in your family. Look at, what, look at what Paul writes in 1 Timothy about this. Put your religion into practice by caring for your own family, for this is pleasing to God. Now listen to the strong language of the verse he uses just a couple verses later in verse 8. Those who won't care for their relatives, especially those who are in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. You'd be better off not even to believe that there was a God than to refuse to care for your own family. How do you care for your family? Well, it's pretty simple. It's just three ways. You give them attention, you give them affection, and you give them affirmation. You give them attention, affection, and affirmation. It's going to take time, it's going to take words, and it's going to take contact. You ready? It's going to take all three of those. It can't happen. It can't microwave it. i got to spend time with them. i got to pat them on the back. And I mean physically. Kids need to be touched. In healthy ways, they need you to hug them. You can't tell your wife, well, I kissed you at the altar. It's over now, baby. Kiss your wife, for goodness sakes. Show some affection, you grump. Hold her hand like you did when you were trying to convince her to marry you. Your kids need to be hugged. They need to be told their love no matter what they do, apart from their performance. They need your time. They need your words. And they need your contact. 
Are you caring for the people in your family? Here's the fourth priority. Ready? Serving. Serving. you got to serve your family. I don't want to serve. Well, grow up. Serve them. Martin Luther King said it this way. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. And this is how Jesus said it. Matthew chapter 20. You ready? Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Must be the servant. Those are the four priorities. That's all the only four things you got to do to make your family stronger today. Ready? That's it. Train them. Have fun with them. Care for them. Serve them. And how do I do that? How do I do that? Come back the next five weeks. We're going to give you more tools. But today, will you go out of here and just try your best? Make some priorities. Priority, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to sit my kids down. We're going to talk about life every day. Maybe it's only going to be five minutes. Five minutes a day, way better than 35 seconds. You ready? Let's set some priorities to get closer to God, to love our family better, and to build his kingdom with all we got. And if we do those things, we'll be happier. Your relationships will be stronger, better, tighter. Here's how Jesus said it, Matthew chapter 6. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Who wouldn't want to give their kids everything they need? Who wouldn't want to give their grandkids and their nieces and their nephews and their spouse everything they need? you got to set these priorities. And if you'll set them, they'll have. Now, I don't know what you're going to do with this truth. I just know what I'm going to do. I shared this verse a couple weeks ago with you, but I'm clinging to Joshua 24, 15, because I don't know where you're going to go out of here and do with this, but this is what I'm going to do. You ready? No matter what you do, choose whoever you're going to serve. But for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to set some priorities to train ourselves. We're going to serve one another. We're going to care about each other, and we're going to plan some fun. And I'm going to get to the end of my life, and I'm going to look back, and I'm going to be like, you know what? That was a blast. And my kids aren't departing from God. And I'm ready for whatever life throws at me, and so are they. And when I look back and I think, well, I wish I had more time to do this or that, the things I'm going to wish I had more time with aren't going to have anything to do with money or stuff. They'll be like, man, I wish I could have some more fun with my family. I wish I could have some more time to serve them and care about them. I wish we could just sit down and do family devotions again, train each other some more. I love it and I want more of it. You might be sitting there saying, what about all the other things in my life like relaxing and working at my job and taking a shower and shopping? None of those things have to do with God, family, or kingdom. You saying I'm not supposed to shower? Please, please, shower. Shower, right? Especially before you come hang around me. Shower. No, what I'm saying is you got the wrong mindset. Get your mindset off of all the things out there that you have to do that you can't fit into your calling and start getting your mindset on the things out there that you can do that fit into your calling. God has called you to love him with all you got and to love your family with all you got and to build his kingdom with all you got. Stop trying to find a way out of it and start trying to plug more stuff into it. How much more of me can he get? How much less and less can I become? How much greater and greater can I make him? Stop looking at it from the other side. Start looking at it from 
the God side. Stop looking at what you can't do and start focusing on what you can't, can do. Stop worrying about perfection and just start getting headed in the right direction. One step, one foot after another. Now maybe you're sitting here and you think, I've never experienced relationships like that. My dad didn't teach me anything. My mom didn't seem to care about me. Nobody in my house served me. We all served ourselves. We never planned fun. I can't even remember one fun thing we did. Maybe that's you. I want you to know that all throughout God's word, he talks to you. And he says he wants to be all those relationships everybody else failed at. That where your dad didn't love you well, God the Father says, I want to father you perfectly. Where your brothers betrayed you and stabbed you in the back, Jesus says, no, I'm going to be like a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Where your spouse walked out on you and abandoned you, Jesus looks at you and says, no, I'll make you my bride. And I will serve you sacrificially the rest of your life. That's called redemption in theology. That Jesus wants to take every broken piece of your life and buy it back to make something beautiful out of it. And today, he wants to take all the broken pieces you are, redeem them, and make them beautiful for his glory. You say, you don't understand. You're the preacher. You got it all together. Well, you just don't know me then because I don't have it all together. I'm just as broken as you are. My relationships are just as desperate and in need as yours are. And the only thing that makes me different than you is that I have a number. That's it. The only thing that makes me different than you is that I have a year. A year where I looked at Jesus and I said, you know what? From this day forward, I'll follow you with my whole heart. And in that moment, he bought back all my broken pieces. And he's making me beautiful. Not because I'm better, because I'm surrendered. So that's the question for you today. You want to buy back your family? You want to make your family stronger, tighter, closer, better? All you need is a number. A year. Maybe your year is 2021. Where you finally look God in the eye. And you say, God, up until this point, it's been all about me. But from this day forward, it's going to be all about your calling on my life. And I'm going to follow you with all I got. And in that moment, Jesus saves you and you surrender to him. And they both have to exist. And I don't care what any preacher sold you in the past. And if you want me to show you word for word from God's Bible, I will. There is no such thing as salvation without surrender. They go together. God doesn't save you so you can live for you and you can do whatever you feel like doing. God saves you because you surrender to him. And so here's your moment right now. Packaged, presented, brought right to your doorstep. All these numbers are hanging on the wall that say 2021. We're going to sing a song to close our service. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, he will save you if you do. He will restore you if you do. He will redeem all the broken relationships and start to make them stronger, better, healthier. If this is your year. You guys stand up with me and let me pray. Then we're going to sing together. 
And if you want 2021 to be your year, this is our last gift to you. Go over and grab one of the signs. Take it with you and stick it at home to always remind yourself that 2021 was the year that I looked God in the eye. I said, no more, God, am I going to be on my own. But right now, I want you to save me, and I want to surrender to you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for fall kickoff. Thank you for the people that came out today. God, I pray you would give everybody in the crowd right now the courage to hear the truth we just shared from your word, to internalize it, and then to act on it, to cross over from death to life by surrendering their life to you, taking a number, and living in freedom the rest of their days. God, would you give them the courage to step out and lead their families better, to set some priorities, and see healthier, stronger, better families. In Jesus' name I pray.